Welcome to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast. This is the Monday pod where we react to all of the action from the EFL weekend. I am Ali Maxwell recording this from an undisclosed hotel room in an undisclosed <laughs> location as I nip away for a very quick golf trip. Um, George Ellick is on the line with me. George, how are you getting on? Yeah, I'm in a disclosed location, uh, which is where I live. Um, so, and, I, and I'm fine. I'm very happy to be speaking to you. We're doing this a bit earlier than usual, just to compensate for your um, extravagances today. Um, <laughs> to compensate for my early tea time. Um, yeah, exactly. Just give, give me a look behind the curtain here. Uh, do you record this in a in a in an office, in a bedroom, in a kitchen, in a living room? It, it's kind of an office slash um, bedroom scenario where there's a desk. <laughs> And there's a bed, and then there's basically nothing else in the room, so you can make of that what you will. Perfect. Um, but it's better. I mean, generally, when we've been doing this, it's been kind of at a kitchen table or, um, yeah, in a living room. So it's good to have something resembling an office now. I'm growing up very quickly. <laughs> it was another entertaining weekend we had in the championship alone. Two 96-minute <clears throat> equalisers. We had more games being postponed because of this global pandemic. We had baffling refereeing decisions one of the best hat tricks i've seen scored at league one level and a certain former male model centre-back scoring mm. his, his fifth goal in eight games george we say it a lot but one normal day of sky bet is all we ask for it, <laughs> it'll never happen well it's interesting you say that ali go on we are very excited to now be sponsored on this monday podcast and every other monday podcast for the rest of the season by the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so one normal day of Skybet is all we ask for. It's not going to happen now, given the <laughs> ties we've now got to the EFL Rewards app. I would advise anybody who's wondering, what is this? To go and download the app right now. If you're a fan of EFL football, it is imperative to have it. It's nothing to do with gambling, so don't worry about that. If you're interested in gambling, it is the, the sponsors of the EFL launching an app which incentivizes your fandom to your club even though we as fans aren't going to games at the moment with the skybet efl rewards app you can check in anywhere this season so whether you're following the game from afar or watching on iFollow from just around the corner from the stadium you can still check in from any location and have the chance to win special club rewards well, that's it isn't it that's why you would check in because you, you you check in you play the spinner it's kind of like a wheel of fortune type spinner and you have a chance to win rewards last season over seven thousand rewards were, were won by fans on the app uh, they can range from signed shirts from your club's first team squad to match streaming passes on iFollow so i've seen loads of people on social media this weekend who have been who've been gloating basically about the fact that they've won free iFollow passes. So even though we can't get to games at the moment, um, they can watch their club play uh, on iFollow. So yeah, look, just give it a go. It takes less than two minutes to sign up and, and check into your first game. There are hundreds of winners each week. So just to be in with a chance of winning something like a signed shirt from your club or a match streaming pass from, from iFollow or, or your club's platform, uh, that's all up for grabs on the Skybet EFL Rewards app. We are absolutely buzzing to be partnered with Skybet, obviously the title sponsor of the EFL. And we can't wait for, for our relationship to develop over the course of the season. So please do go and check out the Skybet EFL Rewards app today and see what you can do with it. Hopefully we've explained that fairly well. There'll be more to come on that front over the next weeks and months. 
George, let's talk football because there was plenty of it and there's plenty to discuss. Let's start with the championship where we have two teams with 100% records, 12 points from a possible 12. They are Bristol City and Reading. Bristol City went to Nottingham Forest on the weekend, George, and they left with a 2-1 win. It was a pretty entertaining game, all told, and it certainly wasn't an easy win for Bristol City. But Dean Holden's side march on, and I don't know if it's a thing, but I feel like when we talk about someone on Sky Sports on a Friday night, good things tend to happen. Dean Holden's Robins keep on rolling. Yeah, exactly. And that is the key headline, I think, to take out of this one, rather than anything too negative about the home side, is the Bristol City under Dean Holden, <clears throat> the the curse or the, the opposite of the commentator's curse from you and I speaking on Sky Sports on a Friday night strikes again. Bristol City again roll on and they didn't create loads of chances in the game. They, they took their chances very well. Um, and just in terms of getting points on the board, going away from home, you don't really necessarily always have to be the dominant side if you can eke out a result. No one here is going to expect Bristol City to carry on in this exact vein, winning games um, consistently. But with every match that goes on, with every game that Andres Fireman playing as a centre midfielder is, is breaking free from uh, from that role and, and kind of coming into balls in the area late and scoring, with every game that Wells and Martin are looking like a really, really good strike partnership, our opinion of them as a team just continues to rise. Um, the, the difficulty for holding is going to come when this run of form does dip, which it will do at some point. But for the time being, it's it's kind of an A plus and it couldn't have started any better. For Lamucci and Nottingham Forest, personally, when I watch post-match interviews and you see a manager bemoaning luck and just saying, you know, things just aren't falling for us, I don't scoff, but there's... Roll you know, your that, eyes. That is, that, yeah, that is a, a sign that a manager is, is scrapping to absolve himself of blame. But in, in this case, again, I kind of feel like it was justified because Forest who I think rode their luck for long stretches of last season. So we could say this is kind of variance um, coming back to, to haunt them. Um, but they, it does feel like they're the side at the moment who come up against keepers who just have a blinder. I mean, Daniel Bentley was made two absolutely world-class saves. I mean, the first one was as good a save as I think we're going to see this season. I think it was from a Mighton header. Um, kind the, of one of those the ones. The first really... highlight on the whole Quest highlights show, mm. and it was unbelievable plucking it out of the top corner and tipping it wide it's one of those ones where not only has he done very well to get to to get there but it's it's kind of behind him so he's having to scoop it away um and he times to jump perfectly and that is for forest exactly how their season is going at the moment that's not to um say that he is immune to criticism um the only goal they scored here was a, an absolute wonder strike by luke freeman but at the same time i i do feel like things aren't falling for them at the moment which isn't not to be expected um, with a two-week break now, we, we've seen in the past that owners quite like to use that time to find a new manager, even if they don't let the first one go necessarily as early as uh, as, um, as when they start looking. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But um, yeah, for once, maybe listening to the Mucci's interview, I mean, they outshot Bristol City. I think it was twenty to seven on the day. Um, I have some I have some sympathy for him. A hell of a goal from Luke Freeman. Just a, a sensational swinger from his weaker right foot. It was great to see, you know, we talked about, on, on again, on, on Sky on Friday night, just to illustrate um, what Bristol City are doing so well. We did talk about how they've almost got this sort of set play in open play, which is that 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 
deep cross sort of wedged in from a wing back to the back stick and Martin uh, knocking it down. And, and when you've got Wells, who's tends to be running on past him, or you've got Vyman and or Patterson arriving late into the box, it's, it's proving to be really difficult for teams to defend against. Um, they are at the top of the league, Bristol City, with Reading, who are also four from four. And this one was... The most impressive victory for me, not necessarily the best performance of the season from Reading, but the fact that it was against a, a Watford side that hadn't conceded a goal and who we know, despite not clicking just yet, have some magnificent individual players and have, at the very least, uh, a very sturdy defensive structure, uh, hence the no goals conceded prior <laughs> to this game. And But Reading just keep on rolling and, and, and nothing can really... Nothing can trip them up at the moment. There's always... You know, when when games are lost, you can generally point to a few excuses. And had Reading lost this game, you wouldn't have had to look very far. Uh, the injuries or absences of Yeardom, of Oviajaria, of John Swift, and Lucas Schwao, certainly their three best attacking players. And in Yeardom, uh, a very, very dependable right-back. Um, the, the second-choice right-back, Felipe, whose surname I'm not going to attempt to pronounce this early in the morning, he was injured as well. So it was third-choice right-back, Tom Holmes, who came in and did absolutely brilliantly. And that was it. That that was the, the story of the game for me, really, is that the fringe players stepping in and, and performing. Um, a good goal from Puskas, who came in for Joao. He played pretty well, not amazingly, but pretty well. He led the line fairly well and, uh, you know, up against three strong Watford centre-backs. He was the one who, who managed to receive a ball in the box, uh, spin a defender and finish well. That's what Lucas rao has been doing recently. So um, that, that was an impressive performance from Puskas and handy for him to be able to fill in while Joao was missing. Sean Aluko is probably the headline though, isn't he? Because he hadn't started a league game mm. for Reading for 18 months. Obviously in that time, he's, he's moved to China and played there out on loan for a bit. I just think it's a really interesting case, this. I, I'm not saying for a second that Aluko is going to suddenly become an excellent key player for this side, but he could easily be a good squad option, a good bench option. And I just want to, especially on what is nominally deadline day, if you're watching, um, if you're watching Sky Sports News, I just want to point out that Aluko is a good case. This is a good footballer. This is a smart footballer as well. Not the player he was when he was younger, of course, but still a good football player. And it's it's fair to say that his performances when he signed for Reading were below par. But it felt a little like one of those cases where the transfer fee itself really was a millstone around his neck. It was it was it was it was constantly referenced when he had a poor performance in the way that a player who cost free or a smaller fee would not have been um, referred to in those terms. And I think that that kind of hung over him unfairly because it's nothing to do with him what what clubs spend you know spend on their players really. It's nothing to do with those individual players. Um, and what we're seeing. Uh, in this performance is that if he's fit and motivated crucially and feels part of the squad, which he clearly does, um, he's a very, very good squad player. He's a smart footballer and he works very hard off the ball, which a lot of attacking players don't do so well. And I just I just want to flag this up. There are other clubs all across the EFL whose fans, whose managers even, who will, even some players will think, we need more players, we need to buy more players. And sometimes if you work properly with your fringe players and if you can, if you can create a team structure where everyone feels fairly well valued and a team structure where everyone knows as they come onto the pitch, no matter if they're starting the game or coming on as a sub, what their role is, what the team structure is and how they're going to, to try and get a result. You can actually get a lot out of players that, most people would consider fringe players. Most people would consider, you know, players that need to be replaced. And um, also, if you have a starting eleven like Reading 
have, who had played so well in the first three games, you don't really want to disrupt that either. So you've got to be careful about spending money, especially in this environment at the moment, in this mm. financial environment. It, you know, if you buy a, an, a, another attacking player and Ajaria, Swift, Elise and Joao have a run of 10 games where they're still playing well and uh, and fit, then that you could waste quite a lot of money there. So it, it's I, I, I thought Aluko's performance was very notable. I think it's a wider, interesting discussion. I'd love to see him thrive because, um, you know, he he's known to be one of the sort of nicest blokes in football, really smart. I remember he was on the Channel 5 highlight show when that was uh, when that had the rights a few years ago. And he was brilliant. Um, and I've always liked him since then. And I was thrilled to see him play so well. So um, just a, uh, we're actually going to talk a bit more about Reading in about 25 minutes. So stay tuned for that, Reading fans. We're not done discussing you or your recent exploits. <laughs> um, from a Watford perspective, yeah, this is one of those where <laughs> when they when they have a good start and they don't concede a goal, but they're not playing very well going forward. And people like me say, well, if you sort of build from the back first, that's not a bad strategy. Problem is, when you lose a game, suddenly you think, ooh, that was, that was actually fairly grim. They didn't play particularly well. They didn't have as much energy or quality as you'd want on the ball. I kind of wish Ken Semmer had been able to start. I don't know why he didn't, because he did come on. But they had a lot of openings down the left side in the first half. And for Menya, being right-footed and being naturally right-sided, it meant he kind of slowed things down. They couldn't get the, the, the delivery that they've been getting from Semmer. Um, and I'm, I'm really disappointed in the performances of Nathaniel Chaloba because 2013-14, he played for Watford on loan in this division and it was one of the most impressive loans I can remember. He was an absolute Rolls-Royce at the base of midfield when he was probably still a teenager, maybe 19-odd. Uh, so I was looking forward to, to having him back, I guess. But so far this season, I have found him to be very disappointing, just quite slow in possession, seems to want to play the game at a really slow pace. And I'm not sure it's really the right thing at this stage for this Watford side. Um, it, yeah, he seems to just be getting a bit wound up and I haven't been too impressed with him. So if there's a big if there's a big injury to Delhi Bashiru, then I think Watford, uh, certainly their fans, think that they need another central midfield player. So, yeah, keep listening, Reading fans. We're not discussing you just yet, but we are going to say well done on the win. Uh, and we're going to move on to some other results. George, what about the game we watched on, on Friday night between Coventry and Bournemouth? Bournemouth 3-1 winners here. Uh, and it was it, it was an impressive performance from the Jerrys. It was an impressive performance, yeah. Um, I was kind of in doing the research before the game, um, looking into Bournemouth's performance previously to this one. And it kind of felt, even though the, the results were very good, the general kind of shot stats and the amount of shots they'd conceded the the amount of possession they kind of were not keeping I was surprised about maybe that's more of a sign about the teams they'd played beforehand Um, but they controlled this game very comfortably Um, the only period of play uh, where they they seemed to step off it a bit was kind of in the last 15-20 minutes of of the first half maybe they were just keen to get into half time with their one goal lead intact which didn't happen due to the penalty but in general, um, this was a deserving 3-1 win, even if two of the goals, or at least one of the goals, came from a, a, a very good strike from uh, Dan Gosling, which you can't really necessarily account for. Um, <laughs> but they were the dominant side. I, I think we, we haven't learned necessarily in the same way that I'm not going to um, look back at previous Bournemouth performances where they won and didn't play too well, such as the, the Blackburn game on opening day. I, I'm not going to look at this as being, OK, this is, this is a marker set necessarily. Because I thought Coventry were just really, really poor. Um, when, when you're looking at, at games like this, naturally, 
the fans who lose are going to think to themselves, we, you know, we've we've been really poor there, and the team that have won are going to say, no, we were just really good. Um, I think in this case, we, we've got to look at Coventry's performance and wonder why they were just so poor in possession consistently. Um, it may be something to do with how the first goal came about, um, with Jefferson Lerma's goal coming from a very, very high Bournemouth press where the ball was given away down their right-hand channel and was picked up and very quickly turned over. And uh, a, a, you know, after a setback from Solanke, it was a good hit by Lerma to put them 1-0 up. And you felt like maybe that press spooked Coventry a bit because consistently throughout the game, we were seeing so many wayward passes it's again it's a bit of a cliche it's a bit of like a whenever I hear fans being like we're terrible we always give the ball away cheaply you're like yeah I think kind of most teams do that but it was um maddening to watch just how often we saw Coventry's players under no real press under no real pressure looking to play the ball forward very very quickly um playing kind of low percentage passes that wouldn't really lead to a to necessarily being in a great position and squandering possession you, you wonder if that early um, the way they conceded that first goal kind of spooked them into thinking they had to play play out quickly. And especially because last season Coventry were a team who we associated with being very, very tidy in possession, being very happy to keep the ball in in kind of deeper areas. It, it just surprised me a bit. And maybe it's a case of Kov learning that, you know, at championship level, um, you know, you are going to be punished if you squander the possession in your own half or in, in areas that you don't want to. So therefore they're trying to get forward quicker. But that they can't do that because all, all that succeeded in doing on, on Friday night was was just giving Bournemouth the ball time after time um, in positions where where they had players out of position. So um, I enjoyed that uh, Jason Tindall would have listened to us talk about Bristol City and listened to us bang on about Patterson and Vyman being like kind of unusual attacking eights in a in a in a system like this, and he's gone. Okay, I'll uh, I'll see your I'll see your <laughs> Vyman and Patterson, and I'll give you Lerma and Gosling as mm. uh, goal scoring number eights. Yeah, and, and I guess that is. I mean, it's not dissimilar when you when you think it's it's Lewis Cook playing as the as the more central. Lewis Cook is a player that, in my mind, his best attribute is his dribbling ability. Um, he's also a competent passer as well. He's by no means a defensive player. Maybe as we saw in the penalty incident as well. So. It, it, if, if you were to pick one of the three that you'd expect to not be playing the central role, it would be Cook, with one of Lerma or Gosling being the being the middle player. So maybe we maybe we should be maybe Jason Tindall and Dean Holden got together um, before the season started and had a pint and were like, look, how the hell are we going to become managers? And they were like, let's devise this cool new system that we're both going to play, <laughs> where we just put players in the wrong positions in centre midfield and, and get players who never really score suddenly or never really play that position suddenly bursting into the box and scoring. Um, but yeah, I mean that is true. The standards that that um, Tyndall and Bournemouth have to live by this season, given the, the players at their disposal and where they where they've been for the last few years, is obviously going to be higher than than um, than Bristol City and Holden's. Um, but there are definitely similarities. I'll give you that. Nice. Yeah, it was. A, I was impressed with the performance, just the way that they just looked stronger, faster, quicker, more technical. And, you know, when you compare the budgets and, and as you as as you mentioned, where they've been last season, for example, two divisions separating them, maybe it's not surprising and maybe we shouldn't, you know, disparage Coventry too much and praise Bournemouth too much. Um, but it was an interesting game to watch, I thought. I'm going to talk about Luton 2, Wickham 0. Uh, some, some stats courtesy of Christian Goodbrand. Goodbrand stats on Twitter. I'm sure many of you follow him already. He is sort of the... EFL statistician. I've worked with him for many years uh, on various highlight shows, and he's a he's a wonderful man as well. Uh, Nathan Jones has won six, uh, seven rather of his thirteen championship games in charge of Luton. 
They had previously won seven of their previous 28 games before he returned. They've also kept five clean sheets in his 13 games, uh, having kept four in the previous 37 at this level. Uh, I spoke to, to Ollie Walker, who's a Luton fan, about this. And, you know, it, it, it's very easy to just blindly praise Nathan Jones. And on the flip side of that, you're, you're sort of disparaging uh, Graham Jones as well. Uh, his Luton side, you, you just couldn't really rely on last season. Um Oli said that the exciting thing for Luton fans, apart from the start, which is amazing, you know, nine points at this stage, mm. uh, as he points out, they only have to get one point per game to get 51 points, which is what they got last season. So um, they're in a, they've got a great platform to build on. But the, the most notable thing is they have a, he feels they have a chance of getting something from every game now, no matter who the opposition, and that there'll be a plan of how to get it. Whereas last season, there were some games where you'd turn up and, and you'd kind of be wondering by before kickoff how many you're going to lose by. So, you know, it's a change of mentality around the club and it, it's reflecting on the pitch. I loved that Jordan Clark, having performed really well in cup games, really well in substitute appearances, he got a start over Elliot Lee this time and he played really well. Um, you know, he lived up to expectation. He's been a great signing so far. Really solid all-round player and, and, and a goal threat as well. And then Elliot Lee came off the bench, having been having lost his starting spot and scored the goal that made it 2-0. So a lot of people chipping in at the moment. Good problems for Nathan Jones to have. And I just loved the fact that Peli Ruddick and Panzu, who's one of those players everyone knows, only scores good goals. Uh, Nathan Jones said afterwards, he basically wants more from his shooting. He was like, he gets in great positions, but he either hits the park outside the ground or he hits the Indian restaurant 100 metres away, or like today, he can hit the top corner. Uh, and that's what he did. Uh, Pearson and Bradley, I think, deserve a shout out. The centre-backs, when I looked at this Luton squad before the season, it was definitely an area of concern. I didn't think that... They had performed particularly well last season uh, and maybe we're seeing that in the right system they can be more than competent championship defenders. They signed Tom Lockyer in the summer and I certainly thought he would displace one of Pearson and, uh, and Sonny Bradley but that hasn't been the case so far so another clean sheet for them well done. For, for Wickham it was a, a better performance than we've seen. They've obviously lost every game so far. They are disappointed with the officiating in this one. Uh, was there a handball on Ray early on? I, I didn't think the, the camera angle that we had really cleared it up definitively. Was it offside uh, for the disallowed goal, which would have made it 1-1? Again, the, the cameras that we have, I didn't think it was clear-cut. There are a lot of people who, who like to make very clear observations on offside decisions based on, <laughs> based on freeze frames and based on you know a, a camera that is positioned on the halfway line rather than the linesman whose angle is right down the, the defensive line. So I, I don't know. I thought it was hard to tell whether Anya Dimmer was maybe just a foot offside, as in one of his feet, not one foot in length. Um, <laughs> But yes, you know, didn't get the rub of the green, clearly. Uh, generally, they, they still have to improve a lot defensively, I think. When I thought about how Wickham could stay up this season, it, it involved having to, to, to keep a lot of clean sheets, basically, or having to keep the opposition at one goal maximum. Uh, and so far, they're not doing that. So uh, a tough start for them, but uh, it's certainly fair to say. Uh, Brentford 2, Preston 4 on Sunday, George. This is a very eye-catching result, not least because it was 2-0 to Brentford at half-time. And I dare say there haven't been a huge amount of turnarounds uh, to that extent at, at Griffin Park. Um, what do we make of this one? Well, that that is it. I mean, I think that the lazy analysis is to say um, this wouldn't have happened at Griffin Park. I think the smart analysis is to say this wouldn't have happened at Griffin Park. Um, <laughs> it, it does feel like it's... I, I really don't it, understand that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying it's kind of the thing that you would go to normally. It's the kind of thing that would anybody who knows anything about Brentford would just go to immediately. But I think it probably is also correct, if that makes sense. Mm. It's the easy thing to think. And at the same time, you can't really get away from that fact. This is so anomalous for a Brentford side that we know, even though the, you know, the, the narrative about them over the last couple of years has been they've got a bit of a soft belly. That is not really the case at home. Under Thomas Frank, they don't concede four goals very often. They don't really squander leads like this. They're, they're so solid defensively, generally, um, ever since you know about halfway through two seasons ago when Frank was when Frank was coming under pressure. Therefore, um, Preston's second half display must have been very, very impressive. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and that isn't to take anything away from Preston to say that this wouldn't have happened at Griffin Park, but it's just something for those people who are convinced that, um, especially now it looks like Ben Rama and will be staying. Those people who are convinced that Brentford are going to be going one closer. Um, you know, anyone who watched the Premier League last night will, will have seen what they're now missing up front, even though it was great to see Ivan Tony finally um, scoring from open play and getting a couple of goals, taking his tally to three. Um, but it might just be a bit trickier for Brentford's not having that extra little bit of advantage over other teams that they had at Griffin Park with fans, suddenly playing in an empty stadium without fans. Um, but you're totally right for, for Preston um, to show the belief and, and show the quality to um, come back from a 2-0 deficit to win 4-2 um, they did so playing a very kind of uh, attacking in the sense of just intense I was about to know, say they, they are they're a team that plays with great intensity it can exactly. be really difficult just, to play against and it, just, it looked very awkward for Brentford they didn't really have any answer for it as soon as Swansea built up a kind of a head of steam. They were just relentless. Um, and it helped, of course, that Norgard's injury um, left Brentford with a bit of a soft centre. Um, but it was something that Swansea did really, really well. Sorry, that Preston did really well to exploit. I'm literally looking at the word Swansea on my laptop screen. So apologies to Preston fans. Um, but uh, and, and it, I mean, it they've does had some just go very... to show again that at their best, Brent, uh, Preston are one of the sides in the division who can basically beat anybody. Mm. Um which is a testament to the work that Alex Neal does there. Well, and it would have been wrong to, to look at one point from three games and think that they've suddenly become a, a relegation candidate or or even probably a bottom half team. You know, they lost a fairly tight one to Swansea on opening day, 1-0. Uh, they had a, they performed brilliantly, really, away at Norwich uh, to get a two-all draw where they, they were probably the better side there. They then lost that game against Stoke with the with the Barkhays and red card in the first half that clearly impacted the game in a huge way and probably was was unfortunate rather than definitely you know wrong uh, and 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 they they seized an opportunity here. I think I think another bit of analysis that is probably fair and probably also quite simple is that Norgard's injury really changed this game. Uh, certainly from a defensive point of view for Brentford, Norgard's um, his importance to this team has certainly not been questioned at any point recently but it but because he's been ever present because he's always been in the heart of that midfield we probably haven't necessarily had evidence of what happens when he's not there um it, maybe it's too simplistic to say but but knowing that he had gone off when i watched the goals back because i wasn't watching live and and sort of with that confirmation bias almost in my in my head that norgard was a big miss i noticed that a lot of the goals were scored without brentford's defense having 
their screener in front of them without them having that person just in front of the back four to, to mop up. That's what Norgard does very well. And I think, you know, we uh, they probably at this stage don't have someone who can play that role. So um, fingers crossed that that is, I, I actually haven't seen anything about the injury or what it is. So that's poor research from me. But fingers crossed that Norgard is not Sake. out for, for, <laughs> Fingers crossed that Norgard's <laughs> not out for too long. Um, let's move on um, from an excellent Preston win and their first of the season to uh, Middlesbrough 2, Barnsley 1, uh, Neil Warnock's 1500th game. Like, it's insane, mate. That is in absolutely insane. That is a lot of games. It's like, we, we, know, we know Warnock so well as fans of this, of this level that I think we still take him for granted a little bit. Here are, the, here are the teams, George, that Neil Warnock managed before the year 2000, before, before, the, before this millennium. Here are the teams he managed. Gainsborough Trinity, Burton, Scarborough, Notts County, Torquay, Huddersfield, Plymouth, Oldham, Bury, and then he took over Sheffield United in '99. So his tenth <laughs> job, his tenth job was in 1999 when he took over Sheffield United. It's incredible longevity, and he's loving it at the moment, isn't he? We, we've commented on this before. It's it's slightly disconcerting how happy he is um, at the moment, and it's also quite sweet, and it's also working. This new happy, um, uh, you know, great uncle. Neil Warnock it's working his players are responding and a few of them in particular having not performed in a Borough shirt last season uh, notably players like Dyke Steele Boller who came in on the weekend and performed well they're, they're responding to his management and, and it probably it's made me think he's actually probably doing it having looked at the makeup of his squad having a much younger squad than, than maybe he's had before a less experienced squad and taking a slightly different approach to, to man management and I think it's uh, it, it's clearly working at the moment he said I want them to be flexible I want them to get forward if they want to get forward and someone to fill in for them we're playing good football I've said to them be careful you'll give me a bad reputation um, it's uh, it's very interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing how they go in the next few weeks Tavernier looks sharp here Akpom has looked sharp since he come in uh, since he come in, since he's come in, since he come in, <laughs> and uh, you know they came up against the Barnsley side that's obviously in a, in a well in troubled waters at the moment. Um, previous to this game, albeit only through three matches, Barnsley had faced the fewest shots on target, so they were performing pretty well defensively, even though they can't seem to score. But this game, too many gaps between Barnsley defenders, too much space for for Middlesbrough to move into. They made it quite easy for them, so. From a Barnsley team that everyone was very excited about pre-season, they were really struggling to find that form from last season. I dare say the rumblings, the continued rumblings about Gerhard Struber's immediate f- future probably aren't helping. As far as I've seen, there's no news on that front. Uh, Feels we, like they need to get that sorted. Yeah, I mean, he had a bit soon. of a, had a bit of a dig at the board on Saturday, which you know uh, generally doesn't spell particularly good signs. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if they do move on from Struber or rather if he moves on from them they've obviously done pretty well with their with their appointments Stendhal did very well to get them out of League One even if it didn't end very well Struber did very well to keep them in the championship even if it maybe isn't ending very well so I look forward to seeing where they turn next the, uh, the name the name being linked is Hannes Wolf oh, who nice. seems to be linked to basically every job in the EFL with a man with a board who kind of know what they're doing so get the wolf in um george Mm. tell me about swansea two Millwall one from the weekend swansea keep on swanning (laughs) yeah they do Uh, a swansea team who play a much more um traditional kind of three five two or three four one two with grimes and smith Corey smith the sitting midfielders as we're used to seeing with gibbs white as the attacking one and gibbs white is slowly starting to show that he is 
very very good at this level which shouldn't really come as a surprise to anybody um he got another assist um on the weekend uh, for jake bidwell he was generally just a very good attacking outlet for them all game and you do feel like gibbs white jamal Lowe, and andre ayu is going to be one of the strongest kind of front threes or trios uh, creative and attacking trios in the league this season um it, it wasn't necessarily a particularly um you know, impressive eye-catching performance from Swansea, but I think very few teams against Millwall are going to be that because they are so solid and resolute and are so dangerous on the counter that I think just getting a three points and running or running home with them is is basically the way to approach playing Gary Rabbit's Millwall at the moment. Um, so another three points for them that keeps their strong start to the season going. Um, seems like they're still going to be bringing in a couple of players before the deadline as well. So strengthen, you know, if they strengthen further from this position. Um, you think they've been pretty good stead, but they definitely win the award for the scrappiest winner of the weekend for Ben Cabango's goal, where he managed to kind of do a couple, couple of air shots before getting it in. Um, but they all count, Ali. They all count. Norwich nil, Derby won. The early game on Saturday was, to my eyes, a, a pretty poor game. Uh, and it was decided by a Wayne Rooney free kick at the end, which you just kind of knew was going in uh, as he lined it up. Uh, it was it was a hell of a free kick. And I noted that Cruel it looked like he was a bit slow to come across. A lot of people would have said it was obvious where he was going to put it. You know, you, you could have covered off that area a bit better. But, of course, the last free kick Rooney scored, he whipped it the other side. He whipped it to the goalkeeper's right. And I guess that was probably playing in Cruel's mind uh, as Rooney stood over that. Um, it, it wasn't a great game. I didn't think either team played very well. Curtis Davis came came into the Derby's defence. They, they are chopping and changing so much, aren't they, mm. to get that first win, which they now have. Uh, but Davis was very good. Marshall made two fantastic saves. It was a good weekend for for good goalkeepers in the in the championship. Really good saves. Obviously, this game has a huge caveat in it that Pookie slipped when taking a penalty. And I've no doubt that we'd be talking about this game very differently had Pookie scored that penalty and uh, and had Norwich taken that lead. The the move, the build up to that penalty being won was absolutely beautiful. Mm. I'd love to see a bit more of that from Norwich. Um, but obviously there's 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 a lot of angst amongst the fan base at the moment. It's not been a great start. Uh, they have got the same number of points, George, uh, as they did after four league games the last time they were at this there level two years ago in their title winning season. So plenty of uh, plenty of uh, matches still to come, of course. And we don't often talk about draws because we, we have to whittle down 36 games somehow. And as you can tell, we do tend to overrun anyway. But we had two 96th minute equalisers, which is remarkable, even for the EFL standards. One from Huddersfield to nick a point against Rotherham. Uh, a deserved equaliser, if not very harsh, on the on the poor Rotherham player, McDonald, who stuck it in his own net. Uh, and Macaulay Bond on his debut, equalising for QPR against Sheffield Wednesday to share the points uh, in that one. George, we're going to introduce a, a new feature in conjunction with our partners, the Skybet EFL Rewards app. On that app... One of the key features is checking in to your team's game, uh, whether it's a midweek fixture, whether it's a weekend fixture, you check in uh, to, to mark that you, you are following that game, you're watching that game, and you are then uh, able to play for prizes, such as I follow match passes uh, or sign shirts from, uh, from the team that you support. We are going to use the check-in feature, George. Every other week, we're going to be checking in on a club and a fan base and sort of 
taking the temperature, I suppose. An easy one for us to start with. Taking the temp- temperature of Reading fans. You've always had a good relationship with Reading fans, George. Let's, Love them. Let's check in on them. They are four out of four for the first time in 35 years. They've got 21% of their points from last season already in 8% of their games. Let's check in on, uh, on Reading and Reading's fans. What do you think? I think they have every right to be really positive and really excited about the start to the season because if you go back to August... Um, there were talk talks about new investment and about um, you know the, the amount of players they're going to be recruiting, building up expectation and hope. They brought in a manager in Vyko Paunovic, who none of us knew much about. But four games in, maximum points. Those players haven't come in, but instead we're seeing you know the youth, the youth team, um, the, the academy products who've come through there being trusted with first team spots. And Omar Richards and Michael Elise have been two of the standout performance. Uh, Rinomoto in centre midfield as well. And they're beating decent sides. That's the key thing. Quite often at this stage, we look at clubs and we and we wonder, you know, are they in a false position because of the fixture list after four games? But with in their case, they've you know they've beaten their first team to beat Watford. Um, they've beaten a, a couple of sides who we we don't expect to be down towards the bottom. So I am um, not going to uh, pour cold water on the enthusiasm of Reading fans, even if there might be a couple of uh, kind of shot-based issues. But if they're still hanging around in kind of five or six games, then I might mention them for the first time. It's easy to forget that the the situation and circumstances around Mark Bowen's exit were pretty bizarre. And I still think there's probably more to come out about exactly what happened there. Um, But Paolo is loving life, isn't he? And he's he's Mm. dishing out these big hugs at full time, which is just lovely to see. Big... Um, big sort of uh, what do you call it big huddles at the end as well big hugger he's a big hugger he's a big huddler he said when <laughs> he, sa- he said when you see them play like this you just have to give them a big hug uh, it's great stuff it's great stuff and uh, he's the first non-British or Irish manager to win his opening four league games in the second tier since Jean Tigana with Fulham in uh, the year 2000 that was a very good Fulham side remember and uh, look everyone's happy about it we've uh, we've 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 checked in with a few fav- of our favorite reading fans certainly the Tilehurst end uh, a, a brilliant reading fan site um, saying on Twitter Pauno's really building something special here there's a real feeling like that amongst the fan base reflected all the way through incredible work rate spirit and guts from the whole team uh, you mentioned the youth academy products five of them played on Saturday uh, but you've also got fringe players coming in and performing as I alluded to in Aluko and Holmes and Puskas uh, and Josh Laurent they're basically their main signing of the summer if you don't count Ovi Ajaria who's, whose loan was made permanent uh, on a free transfer he's had a brilliant first month of the season and as Alex Everson mentions their next games Rotherham Wickham Coventry you've said they've beaten some good teams let's see if they can beat some teams who are currently towards the bottom of the division uh, Alex says there's a potential for an incredible start and it's hard to disagree as we head into the international break so that's checking in on Reading and Reading fans. Uh, if you download the Skybet EFL Rewards app, make sure you check in this weekend when watching your club or next weekend if you're a, a championship fan, of course. Make sure when you check in, you enter the spinner. That's how you try to win signed shirts, I follow passes, and you can also build your stats throughout the season and unlock fan achievements as well. So there's plenty of winners, hundreds of winners each week. It takes less than two minutes to, to sign up and check in. Give that a go this weekend. Make sure you download the Skybet EFL Rewards app. George, in, in League One, I've got a sort of general question to start with because we've got two 100% record teams in League One as well. And it's Hull, who beat Plymouth Argyle 1-0. And it's Lincoln, who beat Blackpool 3-2 in a crazy game this weekend. And my question to you is, 
What do you think of Hull and Lincoln, who have started the season very well? I mean, they both started the season very well. You are you, you are right in in that, and uh, and all credit to them. As I said with Reading, I'm not going to sit here and and um, and try and take anything away from them because I think it's still too early in the season. Even if I wanted to, not that I don't, but it's still too early in the season to be making kind of sweeping generalizations about whether, whether these are the two are the best teams in the league. But certainly in in their cases, Pearl, we had a team who were so on the slide that getting off to a good start was going to be so indicative of where they were going to be this season because they were they were genuinely one team who we could see finishing somewhere between 24th and 1st, um, anywhere between 24th and 1st. Whereas now we, we are seeing that, you know, Grant McCann, you know, the club did the right thing to keep a manager who, who took them down um, because he probably can't really be blamed for that run of form last season. Um, with Lincoln, you have Michael Appleton, revolutionising the playing squad, still not necessarily the kind of football that I was anticipating that he played at Oxford and that the recruitment seemed to suggest that he was going to be trying to play. But as kind of set-piece wizards, I know you've got another word for them, um, it's, uh, it's it's working very well. And again, the, the boost psychologically that coming back from 2-1 down away from home with five minutes to go and winning a game 3-2 can't really be... Um, underestimated because that is it's more i guess than just the three points it's more than just keeping a winning run going but it's 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 just a wholly positive experience so um yeah really exciting starts for both clubs and um with two managers who are, who are more than capable there's no reason why they can't be fighting at the top end of the table yeah i would i would also point out that both clubs and this is is again not to take anything away from from the start Neither side are dominating the football matches that they play. You touched on it with, with Lincoln there. We've seen that set pieces have been a great edge for them so far this season. That's obvious. George Grant's delivery, Lewis Monsma's handsome head uh, scoring all sorts. <laughs> it was a hell of a take for his goal uh, this weekend. A lovely composed little flick to, to set himself up. Um, but Hull themselves have, have been playing some tight football matches they've not been dominating play what Hull have have clearly been able to do is start very well in these games which speaks to to how well they've they're, they're currently set up under McCann to get the best out of them and to start games really strongly is obviously puts you in such a good position uh, and and it certainly feels like there's been a few early goals already this season and once they've taken the lead they've been able to cling on to it clearly they haven't conceded a goal yet I think they've got Matt Ingram to, to thank who's made some good saves but, you know, the back five are doing their job. The goalkeeper and, and the back four, um, certainly the, the fullbacks, Elder and, and Emmanuel, are getting up and supporting the attacks as well. Everything's working pretty well for Hull and they've won all of their games, but they have not, at the same time, been dominating the games. Like, e even with this start, it's not to say they can't build from here, gain even more confidence and just start to really blitz the league. But... You know, a lot of these games are fairly marginal. Um, John Coleman, my favourite person this weekend, because John Coleman, after Accrington beat Wimbledon 2-1, came out and said, people completely underestimate how much luck plays in a game of football, especially tight games. And today, we basically got the luck. That's what he said. We, we had those little moments go our way. Uh, and that can make a big difference. Now, at some point, Hull are going to keep playing tight games and the luck's not going to go their way. So there's certainly still room for improvement for Hull. 
if they're to you know to, to maintain oh, they're obviously not going to win every game but if they're to maintain this good start uh, but it's very very positive and each week it feels like we talk about a different sort of star man and obviously Adelican was was the one this weekend who scored a, a lovely goal a great assist from from Lewis Potter who is really benefiting from this relegation I think you have to say I'm sure he would mm. have I'm sure he would have still played uh, in the championship but had they stayed in the championship you know, would they have looked to bring uh, more players in, uh, you know, higher profile players? I've, I don't know. You never really can tell with the Alams when they're going to back their team and when they're not going to back their team. Um, but uh, I think he's he's one of those players who the drop down has suited him. He's playing at a lower level and he's, he's thriving. So exciting to watch. Um, Portsmouth beat Burton 4-2. Uh, wow. At 2-1 down at half time with both goals, own goals from Naylor. Things were about as, as bad as you can imagine and things were pretty grim. So uh, Kenny Jacket, I suppose, in a sense there has, has Marcus Harness to thank because in terms of quality of the goals scored, I don't think we're going to see a better hat-trick in League One this season. The first goal was uh, was just a, a sort of sharp finish from inside the box, seized on the opportunity and, f- and finished well, hard and low. The second goal was a back heel in a sort of busy penalty area, again, just making really good connection and just healing it straight in uh, and then the third goal was unbelievable the ball played into him I think it was from Curtis um, and it's a sort of chopped first touch again with his heel round the back of the defender who's touched tight to him into a bit of space that he has seen uh, to the side of the penalty area his then is then you know his acceleration and agility gets him to the ball first uh, and the finishes again hard and low into the corner it showed the qualities of harness which we've seen a lot um, and would like to see more of because uh, he's one of my favourite players when he's on form. Uh, and here's why: he's, he, him and Curtis can be, you know, the duo of wide forwards in League One who can be right up there with, Definitely. you know, with some of Hull's players, for example. Um, obviously, well, I, I'm not going to go through every team off the top of my head, but th- that's a very, very good duo. Uh, and they need to be more consistent as a two, uh, and their team need to keep giving them the opportunities because. You know, at the moment, it doesn't look like Portsmouth strikers are uh, are in good goal-scoring form, so they might need more goals from wide. I don't think the performance from Portsmouth was any better or worse, really, than what we've seen from them elsewhere this season. I think Harness's finishing is is the sort of simple difference maker here. They've had a ton of chances in some of their other games, certainly that one against Rochdale. Uh, certainly against Wigan as well, uh, that they didn't mm. take. And this week they did take them. So it might look better for Portsmouth, but I don't think the performance was, was any better. Um, they still looked a little shaky at times. So they've kind of, yeah, they've got harness to thank. Let, let's move on from that one. Um, George, Wigan won Donny nil. Uh, did not expect this one. Evidently picked Doncaster on the betting <laughs> show. Uh, it was a very even first half, but Wigan pulling away. Are, are Wigan, like, somehow quite good? Well, if you listen to me, Ali, I said I mentioned this might be the case last week on the Monday show. You then picked Donny in the betting show, ignoring everything I said, because <laughs> um, just with the with the Wigan situation, I'm, I'm keeping <clears throat> everything crossed because it does seem like these mysterious Spanish buyers um, could be taking control of the club fairly soon, which would see an end to this, you know, hellish um, couple of months for Wigan, but. Again, you, you look at their first team, you know, you look at their, their team on paper, football isn't paid on paper, it's paid on grass, um, and the first team isn't a bad one. It, it's a, it's like a good League One side, and they're starting to show that now. And in John Sheridan, they have a capable... I mean, I, I, I think Sheridan is almost the managerial version of the side where it's pretty frills, but actually some 
decent quality in there. There's players who have been good League One players in the past. Sheridan has proven in the past his capabilities at this level. And it was only kind of four or five years ago that he was seen as as kind of a, a shrewd and an EFL operator as it got really. So um, I don't think it's a massive surprise that there are clearly big depth issues in the squad at the moment, um, which they're not going to have very long to try and resurrect. It's about, I think, is it 12 days from now the, the domestic window closes? Yeah. Um, Doncaster aside who, you know, except when you take out Coppinger and, and Whiteman are very, very young. So we can expect probably similar performances this season where they'll have some where they're electric and very good and some where they're not quite so um, on point as they were on Saturday. Um, so it's, it's it's probably too easy to say that Wigan are, are, are good necessarily, especially in this guise, but they're definitely not bad. <laughs> there you go. There's your cutting analysis. Thank um, you. You can, you can stick that on a wall. Wigan, not necessarily good, but maybe not bad. Love it. Cal Smith playing centre-back just really made me very happy. Uh, everyone mucking in there. It's, it's been an impressive start to the season, given what's been happening off the pitch. Peterborough beats Swindon 3-1. This was a good game, actually, because in the first half, Swindon were electric, uh, maybe helped by a poor, posh performance and completely caught them cold. Swindon should have been way more than one and a half at half-time. Um, they should have had a penalty as well. And they were playing really, really, really good football. Their goal was the archetypal Wellens ball goal. Um, mm. You know, good passing through the lines, wide player getting on the ball, uh, cut back, good finish from Payne, other players dragging defenders out of position. Um, really, really impressive stuff. But that all changed in the second half. A change of formation from from Darren Ferguson. Now, it was probably, I can't remember how many games before the end of the season last year, the end of the curtailed season, that he switched to the the three four one two, uh, where he put Siriki Dembele up, sort of lingering around Tony and, and buzzing into space, and Smodic sort of arriving late and offering a goal threat as well, um, and that worked so well for them. Obviously, that's what that's what they started the season with. That's that's to be expected, I think, because there's no reason why they would have changed it. But it hasn't been going that well for Posh just yet. They're still sort of finding their finding their stride, and and Ferguson switched it up after that poor first half. He, he moved to four two three one. They've got some quite versatile players, Posh, which is very handy, and it seemed to work they, they were much better in the second half who knows if that was just down to the, the system change or just players performing a little bit better I, I'm not sure but great to see Johnson Clark Harris finishing uh, finishing his uh, his first goal for Peterborough uh, lovely just stroking it into the corner George didn't try mm. and hit it too hard just no. stroked it into the corner he's been listening to the pod he's been <laughs> he's been following my finishing tips and uh, fair play to him it was a it was a great well, it was just a great second half from peterborough so i guess you could say this was the cliched game of two halves uh, and peterborough picking up the win there swindon away from home a little bit worried that they're going to be not very good at home think they're going to be pretty good so that's quite fun uh, and george the, probably the, the most surprising result I would say, maybe in the whole EFL, although Morecambe beating Port Vale may have something to say about that. But what about Rochdale 2, Fleetwood 1? Brian Barry Murphy doing a job on Joey Barton there. Yeah, you have to, I think on the back of this game, reassess, um, not necessarily where we think Rochdale are going to finish, but reassess everything we think about Brian Barry Murphy and Rochdale's style of play. Because when you say to me, Brian Barry Murphy and Rochdale, I think it's a lot of stale possession and not very many opportunities created. On Saturday, they came up against a Fleetwood side who do like to control games, but aren't necessarily particularly possession-heavy. They are a team who can kind of do both, I think. But here, they, they had 63% possession. I'd be, int- I'd be intrigued to know if any teams enjoyed that at Spotland since Brian Barry Murphy's been 
manager um, well, and Fleetwood, Rochdale Fleet, Fleetwood did not enjoy it I tell you that lost, no lost the that's, game that's exactly it um, 15 shots to 7 for, uh, for for Rochdale four of those those 7 shots for Fleetwood were from outside the area it was a genuine proper you know <laughs> not dominant in terms of the ball but just Rochdale massive value for their victory possibly could have won by more were easily the better sides um, and basically outplayed Fleetwood or outthought maybe Fleetwood mm. in every area. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right in saying this is the most surprising victory of the weekend purely because the margin of victory could have been more and the 2-1 scoreline flatters Fleetwood. Nice. Well, well, well put. Um, Bristol Rovers got their first win of the season as well. Uh, they came up against a Northampton side that really, really struggled in this game. Um, I, I think this is potentially a bit of a theme with Northampton uh, when they win and when their style of play uh, kind of uh, overcomes the opposition, as we saw in the playoffs, very notably. And as we've seen at points this season already as well, um, it, it's very easy to praise them uh, because it works very well and they can be very impressive when they win games well. When they don't play well, when they lose football matches, when they don't play well, that's when, as a fan, I think it can be quite tough because in defeat they look really poor uh, and and i've i've uh, alex butcher the butch who used to win a lot of our quizzes during lockdown he's a, a northampton fan he said some pretty concerning uh, some concerning signs in this defeat and i wasn't necessarily surprised to hear that because i think when northampton lose there are always concerning signs but the question is is that an anomaly you know it is is the squad going to buck its ideas up and and put in a couple more good performances Possibly. Uh, if that continues, plenty to be concerned about. Bristol Rovers uh, getting a, a valuable win. Obviously, a first goal, a penalty. Good bit of play from Hanlon. Uh, we've always said he's the sort of player who, in the final third, can give you that little spark, that bit of quality. Mm. Um, he's, he's skillful and he's pacey and his penalty was amazing, <laughs> like straight in the top corner. Yeah, yeah. He, does he do that as often as you would like? No. Could he could he de- could he keep developing and become more consistent? Absolutely, uh, and it looks like he's going to be a you know the sort of the number one goal threat for Bristol Rovers. So that might not be the best thing for the club right now. But if he can click and if he can find his form, then then maybe he could be the sort of player that really makes the leap this season. Uh, and Wimbledon Accrington, I mentioned uh, John Coleman did the analysis for us. Uh, one of those very 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 tight games where Accrington just had a, you know, had a bit of a, a lucky bounce, a bit of rub of the green, and they saw it out in the second half. Next Monday, guys, because we've got international break this weekend, we're going to have a proper temperature check of the league after five games. We might draft in one or two experts um, and some outside opinion on League One and League Two as well to help us with that. So uh, next week, we'll, 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 we'll definitely take some listener questions as well next week, a little Q&A. So if you've got general questions about any of the leagues, uh, but especially League One and League Two, save them up. Uh, make sure you tweet us over the weekend with those questions. In League Two, George, Newport County. Wow, wow, wow. I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely overreacting. This is definitely becoming an emotional thing here. <clears throat> so I'm going to make you do the match analysis from their 2-1 win uh, against Mansfield. But Newport County are top of League Two. Yeah, and it's the same again. They, um, I mean, the only difference would maybe be that Mansfield created more than we've seen most Newport um, opposition teams create. Um, it was a fairly even game. But again, Newport dominated possession, uh, controlled the game from from kind of their own back three. Um, very happy to do so. I mean, you, Ali, made a very good point on the EFL and Quest highlight show about the state of the pitch because Newport 
we are used to seeing Newport sides with a massive backlog of fixtures because when it gets to the kind of grim February, March time of the season, um, their pitch turns up very easily and mm. plenty of games are suspended. I've actually fallen foul once on New Year's Day on my way to Newport County, finding out the game is off, um, which was a bit of a shame. Halfway um, down the M4. Especially, well, I actually um, spent New Year's Eve in Wales, so it was easier than um, it could have been. But on my head, it was still way too sore to compute having to turn around. Um and it was horrible weather. Anyway, I digress. Um, but I, I'm in, I'm in, I'm interested to know if that's going to happen again, because it, it does seem if if come February Rodney Parade is going to be churned up, especially given the amount of football being played in a short space of time. Even I thought by the end of Saturday's game, it didn't look quite as pristine as it did against Newcastle midweek. That's going to be an issue because they're not going to want to play this kind of stuff if that does happen but there's no point to get concerned about that now we don't know if that's the case um I, difficult I, one I, for, I, for Mansfield I, to have to, to compute this but yeah carry on I succumbed to my first Hummel based EFL mm. purchase didn't I in midweek I got so excited about Newport recently uh they've won me some money as well with some of their wins and I just when they scored against Newcastle, I was just so excited for them. I was so proud. Obviously, they didn't win. They lost on penalties. But I was so proud of, of how they were doing it again uh, on the big stage, so to speak. And then I saw that they were sponsored by Hummel, which is my favourite of all of the sports clothing brands. Uh, there's a free ad for Hummel there. And so I accidentally went onto the Newport Club website and bought myself a, a track top, uh, which is comfy <laughs> Is that, what, is that what you call them nice. these days? Track tops? What just it was was track suit top just a bit too long for people to say? We've established that talking about fashion is not my strong point, so maybe I've just got the wrong terminology there. But that's what <laughs> that's what I'm calling it. It's a track top. I'll send you a picture. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, you already have. <laughs> I'll send the listeners a picture. Uh, <laughs> Will you? Um, Morecambe beat Port Vale one 0 This was uh, again an eye catching result, wasn't it? Because Vale uh, have started the season strongly. They hadn't conceded a goal before this game. Now the only goal they've conceded was one of the softest penalties you're likely to see um, uh, at League Two level. Brisley just breathing on, I think it was Cole Stockton, just breathing on the back of his neck and uh, Stockton hitting the deck. Referee, hook, line and sinker, penalty Morecambe. Adam Phillips, who looks like quite the League Two star on loan from from Burnley, um, scoring the goal there. It was really cool that Phillips went back on loan to Morecambe because... They've had a few players in recent history. I remember Aaron Collins is a good example of this, where they've picked them up, they've sort of given them some game time, and they've impressed. And then generally in the summer, someone with more money comes in and poaches them because Morecambe can only do very short-term contracts. And while it's not exactly the same scenario because Phillips is a loan player, he was on loan from January, I think, and he was brilliant for Morecambe second half of last season. And you'd have expected another side in League Two or maybe League One to go like, yeah, we'll have a bit of that, we'll have that and just sort of nick him. So for him to go back and, and rejoin Derek Adams Morecambe, I think reflects well on them, and he's he's thriving. Uh, brilliant penalty from him as well. And uh, maybe, you know, the flip side of, of my Newport love him, maybe I've got to put the brakes on a little bit when it comes to Vale, another team I've been pretty sweet on. I don't want to overreact to a defeat in a terrible game with, I think, eight shots total in the game with a ridiculously soft penalty. But... It's not. It's it's just the lack of creativity that I've seen in the last few games that's slightly concerning. We we hoped, I sort of guessed that they might have fixed this creativity problem, but there's no sign that they have just yet, and that will hold them back. I think. Um, you know, there are other sides like you know, even if you take a side Newport, a side we'll talk about in a bit, Cheltenham. Um, 
you know, you wouldn't say they are an unbelievably creative side and yet their system creates a lot of chances. So um, that's something that Port Vale need to look at. Um, George Harrogate lost 2-1 to Bolton. Uh, I think uh, to nick a stat from Gab Sutton, the football lab, uh, in the 2011-10 season, nine years ago, these sides were five divisions apart, Bolton and Harrogate. Now they're in the same division and Harrogate had made the better start two proceedings in this league. But Bolton got the win, and it was Doyle and Delfonso, which kind of sums up the uh, the budgetary gap between these two as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it does. And I think for Harrogate, they have to take a bit of a reality check here and not be too downhearted, because I think optimism before the game is probably quite high that they could get a result against a team who hadn't um, picked up so much as a draw this season. But it's still been a very good start to the season. They're still not playing at home. Um, and they came up against a side who, as you say, financially just totally dwarfed them with what they've got at their disposal. Um, I think Bolton fans, management, owners <laughs> will be very relieved to see Owen Doyle getting on the score sheet um, because he has, in his career, gone through phases where he, he doesn't necessarily... He's not as prolific as he was last season. Um, so for him not only to get the opening goal from a, from a set piece, but also to um, show a bit of quality setting up Delfonso's goal as well. That, and I thought it was a great finish from Delfonso as well, letting the ball run across his body, then he get left-footed to the uh, to the near post. I think too often you see um, strikers hit that too close to the keeper. Um, and yeah, for, for Everett and for, for Bolton, it's, you know, I, I said on the, um, on the Totally Football League show Extra Time on Thursday that of all the clubs in the EFL, um, Bolton needed to win the most, and and they got it. So, it'd be interesting to see how they kick on from here. And they got it. They got it against a side who have shown that they are, um, you know, they're they're a decent League Two League Two team. So, um, yeah, interested to know how if this will be the start of us seeing more like what we we expected from Bolton. Let's touch on a couple of playoff teams from last season who got good two 0 wins this weekend. I'll talk about Exeter beating Cambridge. And you can tell me about Cheltenham's win. Uh, Exeter had their goalkeeper to thank for keeping them in the game early on here. Lewis Ward was very, very good between the sticks at a point where Cambridge uh, had a few chances in the first half. But I still think that generally this Exeter side, you know, despite having to lean on, on their goalkeeper, which you are allowed to do at times, um, I think that they've been really impressive. I noticed, again, it's so early for this, but I was having a quick look on Scout the other day at the PPDA stat, passes per defensive action. It's something of a proxy for pressing. Uh, it's a sort of measurement of pressing to an extent. And Exeter were at the very top of League Two, a real pressing side. And it's kind of a surprise because with Bowman up top, not the most mobile, um, you know, you sometimes think you need a mobile forward to lead the press. But Bowman uh, is being supported in his press by Joel Randall, who's been a real breakout star from them playing left mid at the moment, left wing, scored the second goal here. Randall Williams, who's still there. Matt Jay, uh, who's been playing sort of deep line forward, number 10 sort of position. He's a nice player as well. Uh, and then Collins and Taylor in midfield have both got plenty of legs as well. So that's something uh, interesting. I don't think they would have been at the top of that last season, although I should probably, again, should have checked that before talking about this. Um, a good pressing side, Exeter, uh, and a really, really good performance uh, having sort of rode an early wave of Cambridge chances. So uh, I'm 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 feeling good about Exeter as well. I mean, there's a lot of League Two teams that I'm quite into at the moment. Because, good. To, to be honest with you, George, quite like the look of Cheltenham as well. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? They, they uh, have a manager in Mike Duff who is really good and they 
have um, got over the not only the playoff heartbreak but also the the shock I would say of of being one nil up to Morecambe on, on opening day um, and squandering that lead and losing two one and now they are back to being a kind of winning machine we can almost say they they had the game postponed against Grimsby last week so they had a two week gap. Um, but they've won two away games on the bounce, 3-0 and 2-0 away at Tranmere and Leighton Orient, two sides who are not going to be struggling this season, I don't think. Um, they are just just, just so solid. And we mentioned pre-season that, um, that Duff has a very good uh, record, a kind of a young record with, with lone players. And again, it was a lone player who he brought in from West Brom. And Finazaz, who got the uh, the opening goal, second goal, nice goal. Sorry, sorry, the second goal. Yeah, really nice goal as well. Um, after the own goal to open, so um, it almost feels like with with Duff, when, when he brings in these youngsters, you can kind of be rest pretty assured that they're going to be astute signings and they're going to be up to this level. So, um, yeah, any concerns that last season was a flash in the pan, I, th- I think you can basically do 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 rid of those. It seems like as long as Duff is at Cheltenham, they're going to be very very good. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm with you that there are a few teams in League Two that I quite like, and uh, and Cheltenham are definitely one of them. It just struck me as you were talking about Duff and loan players that I'm surprised that Adam Phillips of Morecambe didn't pitch up at Cheltenham this season because Duff's got such close ties with Burnley. Of course, he's a player yeah. there for ages. He's very tight with uh, with Dyche. I'm surprised, but uh, well done, Morecambe. That's good. I'm happy with that. Um, Right, so there was a team that we were very bullish on pre-season, Salford, in, in winning the division. And they won against Stevenage. But I'm definitely not that convinced. Um, I feel, feel I, like I, nobody is. Like, I think that's like the big thing at the moment is mm. just concern over Salford. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't really want to go big either way. That they're, they are... They've got an excellent goalkeeper. I think we, I think we kind of knew that when he signed, and that's been confirmed. Uh, they've kept three clean sheets in a row, mostly thanks to to Vaclav Ladky in goal. Um, the midfield of Richie Tao, Darren Gibson, and Jason Lowe is just in. I mean, just those names are insane. Um, and, and obviously, the back four are playing quite well in the final third. Just not very convinced at the moment. I uh, don't think that they've quite worked out. Uh, the the sort of format of how to play up top, whether they go with the target man in Elliot uh, and others moving off him. They started with Henderson this weekend through the middle with James Wilson kind of coming in off the right and Ash Hunter scored the goal playing left wing. They've played 4-4-2 at times. I sort of feel like Graham Alexander's still not 100% sure what the best way of going about this is. I suppose a bit like what we talked about with Watford, doing that while keeping a ton of clean sheets Say, you know, it buys you quite a lot of time. So um, I, I've no doubt that, like last season, they will just get a lot stronger. So maybe it's not one to, to worry about uh, in terms of Salford. But it is just worth noting that they might be second in the league with eight points from four games. They haven't been playing particularly well. They weren't excellent against Stevenage on the weekend. They weren't terrible either. They, they took an early lead and they held on to it. So, well, yeah, given how 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 many other teams we've picked out as thinking... Well, we think anyway they're performing quite well. It's uh, you know it's going to be a really interesting league this year, I think, which is exciting. Tranmere got their first win in the season as well. They beat Scunthorpe two 0 I think we're still seeing that Scunthorpe are uh, growing into the season. I think would be a euphemism for it. Struggling would be the uh, would probably be the the correct expression. Um, you know we we know that they've had a couple of impressive individual performances. Scunthorpe certainly with Gilead uh, and a couple of defenders, but at the moment as a team they don't look particularly impressive. James Vaughan at the double um, this uh, this weekend, getting getting off the mark for this season, having had a goal harshly disallowed, I think, last week. Uh, and the not 
Cumbrian derby between Carlisle and Barrow was one nil. Um, from from what I read, Barrow were doing a lot of uh, a lot of tippy tappy. Uh, one Carlisle fan, Will, who who told us about this game, basically said that Barrow reminded him of a of an under twenty three team uh, or a sort of development team. A lot of a lot of pretty passing and not a huge amount of substance. Uh, Carlisle went one 0 up in this game. Also went down to ten men, but uh, but saw it out. Lastly, in League Two, it's a draw, so we're not talking about the game. But I, I just wanted to tell you, George. That Forest Green drew one all with Walsall this weekend, right? Last mm-hmm. weekend, I brought up that Forest Green's nil all with Salford was one of the most entertaining nil nils I've seen uh, at League Two yes. level for a long time. This weekend, Forest Green decided that they wanted me to talk about them again, even though they only drew. 27 shots to two in this one for Forest Green and Walsall. <laughs> uh, Roberts in the Walsall goal made nine saves, 10 shots on target total for Forest Green. Just the one goal. Aaron Collins had 11 shots in the game. Um, so uh, I don't really know what that means, except that if they keep doing that, at some point soon, Forest Green are going to win 4 0. That's my prediction. Um, thank you for listening to, to this week's Not the Top 20 podcast. This has been brought to you uh, in association with the Skybet EFL Rewards app, our new partners for the season. We're very excited to be in partnership with the title sponsor of the EFL. The Skybet EFL Rewards app quite simply rewards you for supporting your team and for watching their games. So, for example, this weekend, certainly if you're a League 1, League 2 fan, next weekend if you're a Championship fan, you download the app, which takes two minutes, you check into the game, uh, and then you play the spinner to potentially win uh, some some quite tasty prizes. Hundreds of prizes each week up for grabs, such as I follow match passes and uh, signed shirts from your club. It really is easy to get going, and there's a really nifty predictor uh, aspect to it as well. You can play a predictor game. We're going to be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But uh, download the app, the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Give it a go today. Make sure that you check in uh, and give yourself a chance to win some prizes this weekend. And thank you to them for their support of the podcast. Thank you to you guys for listening. We'll be back again as we always are later on in the week after I've played a lot of golf um, with a betting show, with a Totally Football League show, Extra Time. Um, we've got a weekend off Sky on Friday night, but you will see George Ellick on the Quest Highlights show on Saturday, and that mm. is very exciting. Thanks for listening, guys. Speak again soon.